This is All People Are Crazy, a reverent discussions on how to cope with being a perfectly normal crazy person. These conversations are to nudge your curiosity about mental health, fill in any gaps in your knowledge, and encourage you to make the difficult deal of taking your own advice. This podcast series includes adult concepts, explicit language, discussions of mental health, mental illness, suicide, trauma, violence, drugs, and sex, but generally not all at the same time. Please be gentle with yourself and remember to seek support if you need it, starting with family and friends, your general practitioner, and in Australia Lifeline from 13, 11, 14. Welcome to All People Are Crazy. I'm Lisa Downs and I'm joined in the flesh in a tent with Australian psychologist and my friend of 23 years, Tom Lothian. Hello, Tom. Hello. Welcome to the amazing pillow fort that I have constructed. Uh, So for viewers at home, no one's watching this, listeners at wherever you are at the moment. Um, Most people, when they record home podcasts, talk about building a pillow fort. I've taken an old tent and covered it in dunas because Lisa and I are meeting face to face today. It's amazing. And I'll tell you, it's getting really hot in here. Really quickly. Not Much a, closer quarters than I expected, oh, to be man. honest. Look, not as a metaphor as like actual temperature is rising really rapidly in here. Yeah, the, the, breathing, the breathing has really uh, toasted this space up. This is a fun like simpatico though with what we're meant to be talking about, like relationships and stuff today. And it's going to turn out that you and I might need to disrobe throughout the, this conversation. <laughs> Oh, man. Wow, what a great start. So (laughs) just to recap, last time we spoke, um, we received a very entertaining sex talk from you, Tom. That was great. I blushed a lot, um, but I was entertained. So particularly relevant for parents. So if you have small humans in your life and you need to uh, delve into the world of sex chat with them, jump back and listen to episode three. Noting that in that episode, there's a lot of fairly graphic conversation. So don't listen to it with your kids having not listened to it in advance. You know, like we talk about bondage at one point. And (laughs) if you're wanting to like introduce the concept of sex and consent and respect, that's good. That's highly admirable. But again, go in with your eyes open. Maybe (laughs) give that one a listen just on your onesie before you... (laughs) Uh, yeah, bring it to your children and maybe even just discuss the concepts rather than having us giggle in the presence of your kids. Great tip. Great tip. I'm also going to do a disclaimer. And mine is that just a reminder, Tom does not dispense personal medical advice. All his advice is general in nature and you should seek professional support for your own individual circumstances. And in Australia, start with your GP. Very good. So today we're extending our relationships discussion with a broader look at something relevant for all relationships, boundaries. Excellent. This is not just about sexual relationships, but boundaries in all your relationships. So family, friends and work. Uh, So so Tom, uh, we know that sometimes I have a few teensy little (laughs) problems uh, with with this one. So let's start at the top. Uh, (laughs) It's going to be a lot of giggling from me during this episode. Amazing. Uh, A lot of our conversations over the last 25 years may have revolved around (laughs) boundaries and my lack thereof. So what do you mean when you talk about boundaries for relationships? 
Well, so look, you and I have bumped a, a, a kind of bullet point list of what we've talked about today uh, between ourselves. Um, and then by serendipity, uh, we have a, a production of The Phantom of the Opera is coming to Melbourne, where I live. And so I was like thinking about whether to take my kids. So I, I, I like gave what I can give. We listened to the, um, to the, the soundtrack. Uh, me and my kids and it turns out that is a story that has boundaries is a really strong theme in there and like the distinct lack thereof in fact all of these relationships seem terrible um (laughs) which i didn't clock the first thing i would like whatever saw the phantom of the opera when i was in primary school and thought it was amazing uh but now revisiting it as a grown-up this is a much more anxiety-provoking story than I gave it credit for at the time. <laughs> so I think we'd use the Phantom of the Opera as a nice little, like, weaving integration uh, of an example of, like, how to bring boundaries uh, to the force, <laughs> apart from anything else, so we don't need to, like, puncture all of your Lisa privacy uh, by using you uh, as, as the, like, prescient example of boundaries and some maybe little challenges thereof. <laughs> Great cool, great cool. So what are boundaries? What are boundaries? All right. So boundaries is essentially where a relationship starts and finishes. Like how far will any given relationship go? So there are low boundary relationships. I would say that you and I have a relatively low boundary relationship, probably even lower by the end of this podcast. (laughs) It's lowering by the second, my friend. It's getting pretty warm (laughs) in here and I don't mean emotionally. Um, and then there are really high boundary relationships. Uh, and so if you think about high boundary relationship is one in which uh, you as the person holding the high boundary has very little emotional investment. And that's not an inherently problematic thing. Uh, so if you think about your relationship with the person who runs your local post office, right, that's going to be a high boundary relationship. And often those don't have to be held effortfully because you don't really care and the postal worker doesn't really care. And so it's fine. It's an easy, comfortable thing for everyone to have high boundaries. And sometimes it is held effortfully. So for example, therapy, obvious example for me, uh, is a great example of a high boundary relationship held very effortfully, right? Where in some senses, I'm incredibly open, incredibly vulnerable uh, and incredibly transparent with my clients. And in other senses, I'm not. I'm relatively withholding, right? A lot of my clients will, for instance, ask me about my history of drug taking, whether I have, whether I haven't, because I know a lot about drugs. Um, And so it's a natural piece of curiosity for people. And it's never a question that I answer. Moreover, it's a question that I never answer. uh, Because apart from anything else, the client is going to have different desires for me. And maybe they want me to use drugs. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't realize exactly what they want. And so as a consistency, it's like, I'm just not going to tell you this because your therapy is still about you. And so while your question is completely natural, you're absolutely allowed to ask it. This is going to be a high boundary moment where I protect you from letting this move into friendship, for instance. And so friendship, Another great example of a boundary relationship, sometimes very high for a distant friend, sometimes very low for a close friend, like you and me, Lisa, both emotionally close and in this instance, very physically close in this tiny hot tent. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's great. But so just sticking with that, when do boundaries become a problem then? And I'm thinking Christine and the Phantom, right? (laughs) Oh, Work, but let's use work and friendships yeah. and family. Yeah. When are boundaries actually a problem? Well, I mean, using the Phantom of the Opera is a really <laughs> like helpful uh, as a helpful example. And again, if you've never seen of or even heard of the Phantom of the Opera, I mean, look, the whole soundtrack's on Spotify. So why don't you check that out? Uh, but as a really simple, like pre 
basie of the story, simple summary of the story. Uh, Christine is a uh, trainee opera singer, or like a junior opera singer, who has a strange and ambiguous relationship with her father, who never turns up in the story, but is referenced on a regular basis. And then a man who was injured in an industrial accident uh, and who has been secretly living in the opera house where Christine works, uh, stalks her, um, you know, is watching her in her like, room thing, in her changing room, uh, and then starts talking to her, and she follows him to his house, which is in the sewers. Hmm. Listening to you explain all of this to your uh, eight-year-old was one of the most entertaining moments of my recent life. Um, okay, but so for uh, regular people, regular people, when do boundaries become a problem? I think, so I'd say a former supervisor had a great saying, which a problem is not a problem unless it's a problem. And so I think boundaries can become a problem at the point at which they're problematically impacting you in your life. If you're finding that you are too sad or too stressed or you're spending too much energy, too exhausted, uh, those are the times when boundaries might be a part of that. Uh, So my kind of general rule of thumb, and this is probably the most complicated thing I talk about in therapy, is that there's, for me, a connection between your emotions and the boundaries you might want to hold. So I think if you're having repetitive, pleasant emotional experiences with a person, you can probably afford to lower your boundaries somewhat. And if you're having repetitive, unpleasant emotional experiences with a person, you probably want to start raising those boundaries. Yeah. I love that as a saying. A problem is not a problem until it's a problem. So yeah. for Christine, it wasn't a problem that the Phantom was coming and chatting to her in her oh sleep because she God. thought it was great because, yeah. you know, her singing was improving. But it became a problem when she went and visited him and then he wouldn't let her leave the sewers in because he saw her face. what is basically a really large toilet. Yeah. Like it's, then yeah. it became a problem. Oh, so it. much a problem. Plus, he <laughs> turns into a murderer. Spoiler alert. Sorry, you meant to say that before you, like, drop the, the punchlines yeah, to act the one. spoiler alert. Yeah, I know. Okay, I'll like amend the intro to this one. Is a, you know, we're going to talk Never about trauma, sex, alerts. and death, and spoiler alerts for Phantom of the Opera. Oh man, this is going to be a weird one. I think the tent isn't helping. Um, now, importantly, importantly yes. to that line, right? Lo- uh, lovely kind of general rule of nice emotions lower boundaries, uh, hard emotions raise boundaries. However, big asterisks on that one. First of all, move slowly is my general encouragement. There's a lot of people love to raise and lower their boundaries uh, really, really quickly. Um, and it was certainly uh, for my lesbian clients of mine, I uh, love to say, what does a lesbian bring to a second date? A U-Haul trailer to move in. <laughs> Uh, That is an example of a fast-moving boundary, um, and it's a joke for a reason, because it's really not actually a very good idea. Like, get to know people. Like, if you're going to go and live with someone full-time, then it's probably a good idea that you build some more kind of extensive knowledge of them as a thing. Um, Also, you're allowed to be in pain. So sometimes we will be deeply connected, we'll have low boundary relationships with people who are going through their own hard times. And as a result, you'll feel your own hardness and you're allowed to choose that. You're allowed to choose to be in pain for a person you care about. Uh, And again, I'll default back to problem's not a problem unless it's a problem. You can do that as long as not getting in the way. Because there's no scenario where you can exhaust all of your own emotional energy and still do good care, whether that's for a child or a grown-up or anybody else, colleague, blah, blah, insert 
person here, insert relationship here. Um, so the question of what boundaries should you hold is a little bit more complicated, right? My rule of thumb is very rough as far as the decisions any given person should make. Uh, you really still do need to make your own life choices, it turns out, uh, which again, as a reminder, means that therapists are in a very poor position to give you actual advice on what you should do. I can lay out kind of clever rules of thumb like this to any given person, uh, but it really is going to be the individual who has to pick what pain they're going to engage with, pick what care they're going to provide, uh, and pick what boundaries they're going to have. So I'm going off script, Excellent. which I'm sure you love. <laughs> Wonderful. Because I'm really interested to know um, what are the, for each of those sort of segments, so mm. like relationships, family, like intimate relationships, yep. family and um, work. Sure. And friends, if you want to throw them in there as well. What are the common issues? Like are there differences in boundary things or common things that you see come up in those boundary issues mm. in those different segments? And then I suppose, you know, the follow-up afterwards will be mm -hmm. how do people try and go about addressing those or what should people think about when they're wondering if it's a problem, should I change this? So, mm -hmm. like, let's crack out with families. What do you hear most of all with families? <laughs> maybe or maybe not from people who may or may not look a little like me. <laughs> Well, and interestingly enough, family is not really a concept in the Phantom of the Opera as well. Everyone seems to turn up as a very, like, individual living grown-up. So let's use, yeah, let's pick a pick a name. Maybe Deesa Lowndes as, uh, as a kind of hypothetical name for a person who might find family Good challenging. Deesa. Good old Deesa. Um, but understanding, of course, this is incredibly common. Uh, and, like, I will do, I mean, we're recording this in, like, October. I probably shouldn't give date references at a time. I listened to one of our earlier episodes that hasn't gone up quite yet. I'm like, oh, wow, I like give a whole lot of stick to people who aren't wearing face masks, a rule which has now been entirely abandoned in the state of Victoria. <laughs> we now live amazing. Uh, so I'll try not to date this too much. In any case, we're coming into Christmas uh, and Christmas is a time where I get Good a point. lot of work. Yeah. Um, and weirdly enough, in kind of both directions in the sense that the anticipation of working with family or talking with family is often highly anxiety provoking for a lot of my clients and my friends and me sometimes. Um, but also, even though people find family hard a lot of times, um, it's also really good, it seems, that on balance, a lot of folks have a tendency to do better when those connections are demonstrated because people do need people, right? Mm. As I kind of jumping forward and back here, freewheeling as I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the obvious strategy if low boundaries can bring pain, which they do, uh, why not just build up really high walls for everybody and not have low boundary relationships? And the answer is that uh, people need people, right? The humans are a social mm. species. We're a pack animal uh, and we need to have connection. You don't need a huge number of really low boundary relationships, but you need a couple. Otherwise, you can't feel the love and you're going to end up feeling really lonely. And loneliness is really bad for people. It's a very like unhealthy state to be in. So it's one of the kind of fundamental human needs that we all have is unfortunately to have low boundary relationships, which comes with the risk of having your heart broken. And that's the deal. Uh, as far as problems in families, I mean, the, the question is a good one, but interestingly enough, I'm not sure it has a really clear answer because mm. I think we see similar kinds of relationship problems actually in all of these domains. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, I mean, <laughs> The, the kind of the more Freudian or psychoanalytic um, flavors of psychologists, like the old school um, kind of uh, theorists within my trade would tell you that you're going to play out your family relationships at work in particular. And I mean, we have kind of fun cultural concepts like, like work husband or work wife, work dad, uh, work mum. 
Um, yeah, and there's probably something to that, right? That we do take these templates, you know, in every sense, the relationships that are familiar. Oh, look what I did there with clever <laughs> words. Oh, 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 no. I like that. Yeah, very good. Um, and we play them out in different parts of our lives because they serve as a template. And so even if uh, folks don't naturally occupy the work of the role of a work dad, um, you know, we can wedge that person into that role for ourselves because we are, to use a kind of old school term, projecting, um, or we're having a transference, which is that we're taking that template relationship of dad uh, and we're wedging our boss into that space or our peer or mm. our junior, right? Yeah, while the kind of yes. power stuff can be a trigger to that, like I tell you, I've absolutely co-facilitated a group with a female clinician um, and within that group, I was clearly mum and she was clearly dad and it was fascinating and we used it we used it really effectively it was actually a really good group um just because you're having transference doesn't mean it's inherently a problem yeah right so i can see that actually Mm. now so definitely transference of um perhaps putting people in that dad role up on a pedestal Mm -hmm. or something like that um and also in the work context and perhaps in all contexts Mm. i think saying is saying no a simplification <laughs> for boundaries absolutely. in relations or just like a key element <laughs> oh absolutely and keep in mind that in close reciprocal relationships which is the vast majority right i, mean, I think we talked about it a little bit a couple of uh, episodes back that one of the big challenges of therapy is it's not reciprocal right therapy doesn't play the kind of normal pattern which is if i take care of you you take care of me that's the normal way in which boundaries and social relationships work uh, and so in circumstances where uh, someone asks you for something and you don't want to provide it saying no is incredibly difficult and look to foreshadow this a little bit we've got a, an episode coming up uh, called all people are monsters uh, and that's about the kind of darker edge to this that the role of authority is actually extremely powerful uh, and there was uh, a person i'll just put into a bucket that i like to call the evil psychologists <laughs> a man called stanley milgram who did some experiments in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. uh, where he essentially convinced completely normal people to murder a stranger an innocent stranger like on an afternoon just on a regular afternoon uh, and we will go into that in gratitude you are looking horrified <laughs> i am in this am moment I slightly off track well yes yes and no right because okay. what it speaks to is the power of the social relationship right social relationships are so strong within the human mind that in the extreme example yeah completely normal people it turns out will do horrendous things with very little manipulation if people ask them and they just can't say no pretty much yeah right yeah and the kind of the more we lean into that concept of authority the harder it gets um so is that when we're going to cover why can't people say no yeah yeah. Okay. I mean, we'll cover it a little bit today okay. as well. But okay. I tell you, this is one of the good news pieces, though, coming out of this, is the fact that you understand that phenomenon and the fact that you understand that you're going to have a big anxiety reaction when someone you care about asks for you asks you for something that you don't want to provide. Just knowing that this is likely to be a reaction will help you then take some slow, deep breaths, lower your anxiety, and say no. So the boundary is holdable, right? This is what I call Tough Talk on Tuesday. Love Tough Talk on Tuesday I so know. much. 
until you're the recipient yeah, and then no, it's, no, then it's, it's really bad news that's right yeah, this is my i mean this is also my experience of tough talking jews i'm like yeah, this is my amazing ideas and people are like no I'm like oh i feel sad in this moment and a little bit angry with you um and this is why perhaps there's no meaningful difference between the kind of family stuff and the work stuff when it comes to that boundary challenge that if you know you've got a reciprocal relationship if you know you've got uh, low boundaries and so you're already emotionally invested that means when it goes well you get to feel the love but when it's going badly in all of the various ways relationships can go badly your emotional volume is going to get turned up now that's manageable by firstly taking the slow deep breaths or calming yourself down in whatever way and also that might be the time where you start to have a think about am i changing my boundaries do i need to essentially care less about this person it's kind of the power of indifference because I tell you, a lot of folks will flip between like love and hate, but these are actually very similar emotions, very similar relational emotions. Really? Well, they both speak to a low boundary relationship and one emotion is pleasant and the other one is unpleasant. Mm. And so it's easy to flip between the two, but I think that's because they're basically the same thing. It's just that one is nice and one is not nice. Whereas if you have a genuinely indifferent relationship or you're trending towards indifference, right? Because boundaries are nuanced, right? So we can give 50% care to any given relationship, then it will still be somewhat hard when that person's like, hey, how about you invest in my amazing Cayman Islands business? Or I've been contacted by a Nigerian prince and if I could just borrow a couple of thousand dollars from you, we could all make it really rich in this moment. Like, okay, so no. And how about we have a chat about internet scans from the 90s <laughs> and why you didn't they're very read. modern these days and i have a closer relationship <laughs> oh, yeah. with my australian post lady since the itunes <laughs> two weeks ago don't buy itunes cards for anyone no, even if they say they're your boss no exactly oh it happens to a huge number of people as well and again it speaks to the power reciprocal relationships and of just saying yes and i, I just said yes oh I my know. goodness separate side chat i'll post about it on like the socials at some point but so i feel like this was actually a good seg so when you were talking about indifference is this a good seg to talking about empathy versus sympathy oh very good yeah that's nice look yeah. what you did there we're yeah. even like back on script now this is good we're so <laughs> planned so i would suggest that empathy is when i'll use you and me as an example right you're feeling sad and i feel sad because you feel sad right so i'm experiencing my own sadness in reaction to your sadness now let me contrast that with my relationship with my kids uh if they feel sad i will just like mainline that sadness (laughs) because i'm their parent and that's like what a super low boundary relationship Again, a little foreshadowing. We'll have an episode on parenting coming up and why I think it's bullshit as a concept. (laughs) These are the best relationships I have and they are the worst relationships (laughs) I have at the same time. So I think uh, empathy is about allowing yourself to have feelings and allowing yourself to care about another person and recognizing that that's a reaction you choose to have asterisks uh whereas in sympathy you're plugged in mainline connection so that's a super low boundary Mm. relationship and i would say to be honest i don't have a huge number of like hardcore sympathetic relationships 
And that's not unusual. Now, you, Lisa, are one of my closest friends, but I still feel like I can hold my own emotional space when you're having a tough day, and I hope that you can do the same when I'm having a tough day. Um, And so, you know, I mean, apart from anything else, there's an old-school theorist out there called Dunbar, um, sociologist, uh, who did some work uh, showing that you really can only have seven super close relationships. Seven? Seven. Uh, Because there's not enough time. I mean, you think about how much contact you have with your very close friends and family, it's a lot, right? Like it's a lot of hours apart from anything Mm. else. And if you also need to like do washing and attend a job, uh, there simply isn't enough time to have 50 really, really close friends. (laughs) Does my dog count? (laughs) Because I like her and I feel much more emotionally attached to her than a lot of people. My impulse says no. (laughs) However, I think I'm probably wrong. And I tell you, there's a lot of people out there who are super connected to their pets, like yeah. super connected to their pets. We know I'm addicted to Lexi. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> nothing like a rescue greyhound to really like spark up your yeah, afternoon. No, no. Uh, plus she's old, so it's basically just a big cat. I know, so I channel her. Yeah, like I'm feeling like... <laughs> she's a spirit animal. <laughs> On the sympathy phase, I'm very connected. And I think it's actually an important point is that relationships exist outside of people. Right. So whether it's pets or indeed things, yeah, mm-hmm. I think you'll yeah. see folks having like full blown grief responses or full blown celebratory responses yep. in reaction to pets or cars or houses or whatever the thing is. And weirdly enough, it comes back to the same point. Is this working out for you? Yes. So if that level of boundaries is effective for you. Knock yourself out, be my guest. Uh, yeah, as life has taught me anything, it's that it's enormously diverse and there's lots and lots of different ways to live an effective, happy existence. Um, and if believing passionately in the value of your vintage car or your rescue greyhound um, is the thing, great. Like that sounds like a wonderful way of achieving that because there's no one way to get this done. I've only got six left then, so I'm really <laughs> going to go and think about who my other six people wow. are that are going I feel like this is turning into an episode of The Bachelor and I might not make it. <laughs> the there are roses to be handed out. <laughs> there will be an amazing race where I check and <laughs> make sure that people can pass in order to be accepted. Sensational. <laughs> uh, j- just as a quick heads up, my language around empathy and sympathy is not universal, so you will hear other people describing the same phenomenon in different language or using empathy and sympathy with like different definitions. That's just the language that I use uh, attached to it. We don't have like an agreed, agreed language in the International Court of Psychology uh, as far as like what that specifically means. So that's the way I describe um, the kind of difference between empathy and sympathy as a boundary issue. So I suppose then uh, with boundaries, they're not a problem until they're a problem. Yeah. Um, If people feel or notice that perhaps um, they're not responding in the way that they would like, that's Mm -hmm. creating a problem for them as far as boundaries go, um, what should people do? What are the sort of the ways that (laughs) they can look at that problem and work their way forward? Nice one. So, I mean, I've referenced this a couple of times in previous episodes and in slightly different concepts, and it comes back to me for the point of there are no psychics. Yeah, right. And so if we abandon the concept that our, let's say, partners are psychic and you're there and you're feeling frustrated and you're not saying anything out loud, 
there's actually a very low chance that your partner's ever going to figure that out. No, Tom, they <laughs> should just get the vibe. They should understand that they haven't texted goodnight and sent a kiss and that I'm very oh annoyed. God. Or it's the wrong type of kiss. Or they, they like two instead of one. fumbled their thing and so they've given you like a zombie kiss by accident. And yes. it, Yeah, excellent. So that's a great example. Uh, and one where, how about instead you use your words? So, I mean, this also falls into what I call the bonus stages of development in adulthood, uh, which for boys is what I like to call boys to men. Uh, <laughs> a favourite of mine. Yeah, I know. Uh, if you have no idea what this cultural reference is, please Google images it and enjoy the haircuts. Um, and I think that's about like learning to be a grown-up. Like, yes, learning to use your own words, but importantly for boys, learning to ask questions and understand that other people have minds as well. Uh, and yeah, I think we're doing better at this. I think these days, little boys are raised um, with kind of social sophistication expectations approaching those of girls, but we definitely still have higher expectations of girls as far as their social sophistication is concerned. And I feel like the missing piece on that, so yes, we're sort of talking to boys differently as they grow up, but we're finally spotlighting um, attention on girls and women mm. actually calling out those boundaries, yes. which I think they have been trashed all yes. over for quite a number of years where girls and women would just expect to say yes. Oh, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Please get back in the kitchen. <laughs> Do yeah. the extra work. Retreat. Do the kitchen. Look Retreat. up the kids and go Further into the tent corner, please. <laughs> uh, you have no space to go into. Um, yeah, and uh, equally, I think uh, my my kind of bonus uh, psychological development phase uh, for women is uh, no more girl games. Uh, mm. And that's the thing where you do like stare at a person in a specific way and they should know what you think. You know, they don't know what you think. Yes, but they should. <laughs> Great. They shouldn't. How's You're telling that, me they shouldn't. How's that working out for Not great. 51% of the population? Not great. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So use your words. Like, is a really good starting point. I mean, the thing I say when I'm working with a relationship challenge and people are getting very stressed about it is that the maximum influence you can have over another person without triggering very problematic ethical behavior is to ask for what you want openly with your manners. And then you'll either get it or you won't. And if you do, great. That's probably a pleasant situation. And maybe the boundaries stay the same. Maybe they lower a little bit. And if you don't, then you're probably feeling something unpleasant. And so maybe the boundaries stay the same or maybe they raise a little bit. Mm. Because again, a problem's not a problem if it's not a problem. And if it's not disappointing to not receive something, it doesn't matter. So... Ooh, good point. Yeah, I know. I know. Watch me go. Um, so good at this. You should be a psychologist. It's like I've practiced and stolen a lot of other people's answers, which is totally what I've done. I've contributed almost no actual original thought into this whole trade, but that's okay. Like, I feel like I listen really well and I'm good at saying the things back that other people have said in the past. And so that's, that's a skill in that as well. Um, yeah. So for instance, if your partner won't uh, meet a need of yours. I don't know, prepare a meal or get a thing. Prepare a meal, let's use that. They won't prepare a meal for you. You're tired. You're like, would you mind making dinner? And they're like, sorry, I am also tired. I'm not going to make dinner. Or I am busy, so I'm not going to make dinner. Yeah, you might like feel a bit bad about that. And maybe this is an expectation you should be negotiating with, right? Because you can very nuancedly change your boundaries. It's like, well, maybe they're just not in a position to take care of me in this way on an ongoing basis. So I should probably let go of this 
or whatever, I can find another partner if you really want to get extreme about it. But equally, if I go into the post office and say, could you make a meal for me? After the person looks at me in a very confused fashion, they're probably going to say no. (laughs) And that's okay. Like, am I really going to be disappointed if my postal worker doesn't make a meal for me? I mean, we've met several times and she's lovely, but I really doubt (laughs) that this is going to work out for either of us. And so weirdly enough, even though I would be asking for something bizarre, not getting it wouldn't matter. Because I didn't really expect to in the just first instance. Just in case you wanted to know, Tom, I would be happy to make like <laughs> dinner, like maybe something in the oven, a roast with some roast veggies. That's nice. If you actually need it at any point, don't be afraid to ask. Very good. Words. Very good. <laughs> I will. I will use my words. <laughs> One of the things, so along with your um, boys to men and normal girl games, mm. I do like in this context of using your words and asking for what you want, putting your big girl pants on. Nice. Um, or your big boy pants yeah. on and just, because some of these conversations are hard, right? Like yeah. it is hard to ask for what you actually it want. Is. If you, back to some of our earlier chats, if you're feel, fearing that rejection mm-hmm. and that there could be a no coming. Yes. So sometimes you just avoid asking for what you want well, and with the boundaries. Also, and this is one of the like worst parts of my job because I have to use a cliche and I hate it because it turns out to be accurate, which is if you're holding high boundaries, let's keep in mind that the one person behind that big wall of boundaries is still you. And if you're not your biggest fan then you're kind of stuck with a jerky version of yourself who is going to be a bit of a dick to you. Mm. And so you really do need to love yourself before you can love others. And a little bit of vomit comes into the back of my mouth whenever I say that. I like sort of thinking about it in that, particularly because a lot of this stuff actually comes through in self-chat in your head, which you don't really even comprehend unless you properly listen for it a bit. But when you do notice some of the self-chat that's negative, particularly if you're trying to build up the courage to use your words and set some boundaries or try and re-establish some boundaries. Um, I think finding um, words like saying, oh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't talk to my good friend like that. And so we shouldn't be talking to ourselves like that because our good friends would not talk about us like that. That is a wonderful... Be a friend to yourself. A wonderful summary in the sense that, yeah, if you're... if if your best conversation with others doesn't align with the way you talk to yourself, that's a problem and something to work on. And again, this is all a practice. So it's not that you're going to be able to radically shift your self-talk on any given day, but you can start nudging it in the direction of talking to yourself in the way that you talk to others on your best day. Yeah, particularly if you think, um, particularly in the relation to um, boundaries that are a problem, you realise they're a problem, I think channeling what your best friend, what you would say to your best friend in Mm. the same situation is often a good thing that we don't do for ourselves. So if we wouldn't let our best friend be treated that way, then it's probably a good indicator that we probably need to remind ourselves of that. Yes, not treating ourselves as though we need a special set of rules in which you're allowed to be a jerk. Um, That's an excellent piece of advice. So uh, we have used our words to talk (laughs) about how we feel. Yes. Um. What role do our emotions play in setting boundaries? I mean, so there's the... Because I feel a lot of emotions. I feel a lot of things. We know so that many about feelings. me. <laughs> so many feelings. and big feelings. <laughs> it's, I think that they can be tremendously useful in the way that I've kind of described, right? I think that this is kind of what I would describe as intuitive wisdom. I think intuitive and emotional are the same thing. And so I think that if you're using your feelings 
as a source of important data to guide your boundaries. And that's a really helpful way of having it. And I also think you know, emotions are a powerful tool and powerful tools can use powerful good and they can do powerful damage. Uh, that, that is also true. That I think sometimes we're really motivated uh, even by, I tell you, I talk a lot about problematic hope uh, for both clients and other clinicians that I work with, right? I'm sure he'll change. I'm sure oh. she'll change. I'm sure things are going to get better. Oh. Maybe I should just hang in there in this job. Yeah, I know. Don't I? I fall into this trap as well. Lisa is making amazing. Lisa <laughs> is reflecting on her entire life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I'd say the vast majority, in my experience, the vast majority of ethical breaches by psychologists actually have a tendency not to be motivated by, you know, being like a moustache twiddling villain living out in a hollowed out cult volcano, right? It's not the kind of classic bad guy motivations you think of. It's that the clinician wants to do a really good job. And so they work harder and they work harder and they work harder and they push their own feelings aside and they make a deal where they can be harsher to themselves than they are to other people. And it's their most like morally aligned feelings. And then they burn out or they go crazy and they like turn up at a client's house or they're hugging the client or they're feeling levels of intimacy because they can't uh, manage their own feelings and their own impulse control. And it's that stuff that I think more often leads to disaster for psychologists. And so equally, I think it applies to all other people, psychologists are people too, where yes, any of our feelings can motivate really helpful behavior and any of our feelings can motivate really unhelpful behavior. And so this is why I think it's useful to kind of ask yourself two questions in any given moment. Firstly, what am I feeling is useful. Cliched psychologists ask about feelings. But also, what am I thinking? And Ooh. what makes sense? Right? You have two systems within your mind. You have the rational and you have the emotional. And there's a, there's a thing called the wise mind model, which is a simple Venn diagram, two overlapping circles. Uh, and there's a sweet spot in the middle where a thing both feels right and makes sense. And if you're having an experience where a thing both feels right and makes sense, then that's your best advice. And as hard as it is, you should take as many deep breaths as you need to, and that's the thing you should work towards. Uh, and if it's not, if it's not aligned, which you know the wise mind model would tell us is the majority of our experience is not aligned, uh, mm. then that's a good time to pause, right? That's the work that's still there to be done. And so, look, it's a big question. We can only really ever put out guiding principles around how our emotions impact our relationships in a problematic way. Um, but there's some, like, concepts to kind of uh, help crack along with it. I tell you, one that I didn't kind of extend on before when we were talking boys to men and no more girl games, uh, and it ties into no psychics, is a thing called internal locus of control. So there's a fancy words that really mean your feelings are inside you. Mm. So cliched therapy question, how does that make you feel? Now, people will use that a million times today, even in this city. I would argue actually that unless you're being traumatized, unless your power has been taken away from you and feelings are being forced into you against your will, uh, no one makes you feel anything. Mm. I think you have feelings in reaction to somebody else. And that doesn't change the intensity of your experience, but what it does do is give you a sense of, not control, but a sense of influence over having the feelings in the first place, managing them, and being able to shape the pattern in the long game. And that sounds like a good deal. It is not. It's a really inconvenient deal because if other people are to blame, then you don't have to take responsibility. 
uh, and you don't have to do the deep breaths. You can just get really angry and maybe shout or throw things. Uh, the big downside to taking responsibility for your own feelings uh, is that humans hate being out of control. In mm. fact, all animals hate being out of control. Uh, and so if you make your feelings somebody else's problem, you're going to blame others for the fact that you have emotions, uh, then you are going to feel very anxious. And you're going to feel very anxious basically all the time because the story in your head is, I don't manage my feelings and I can't control them. And you may well have that story because you have an experience of mm -hmm. having feelings forced into you. So there are circumstances in which it can exist. And one of the big bad news problems that I sell on a regular basis is let your feelings be yours because then you can do something about them. And if it's not a traumatizing situation, all the better. If it is a traumatizing situation, it's already a first aid issue and that's where we need to focus. But for the rest of the work, the 99% of the conversations that I'm having about feelings, it's about saying, all right, well, this sucks and it feels like it's coming from outside. It feels like he, she is making you feel this stuff, but they're not. That's a fun fantasy and it's not working out. So instead, how about your feelings sit inside you? Let yourself feel when you want to and let yourself not feel when you don't want to. Yeah, so I really love this one as a concept because I think it's one of the most, I feel like it's one of the most common things that people do to each other in a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. They try to blame the other person for making them feel like crap. Yeah. You did this and it made me feel like crap or you didn't do this and I felt shit or you went out with your mates and you didn't text and I felt <laughs> shit. <laughs> I'm just pulling examples out of the air. Uh, <laughs> but it's you're absolutely right. It's not about they didn't force you to feel shit. You, you did feel shit but yeah. that was because you took a set of circumstances and you drew some feelings out of that. So they didn't necessarily sit there and go, oh, you know what, I'm going to try and make you feel like shit by not texting you back. They just could have been busy. It mm. might not have been a priority in the moment. There's a stack of different things. They just might not have been aware of the importance or that type of communication is not something that's important to them that they place value on as some way that they think that they show their love. Yeah. So there's a stack of other different things and I think that's such a good thing to remember mm. um, and because blaming each other for that stuff also doesn't get you anywhere productive either. No, no. Whereas I have chosen to care deeply about you and my expectations are that you'll text when you go out with your mates and the other person's like, I can't back that up. Like yep. I know that when I go out with my mates, my little tail will be wagging and I'll be too excited yeah. and I'm going to forget to text you yes, because yes, that yes. is, yeah, not as interesting as <laughs> like sending you a text or yeah. sending you a text not as interesting as going and having fun in that moment. Yep. And that could be okay. Like if you don't care, it doesn't matter. And if you do care and it really matters to you, then that's an important negotiation. And then you're in a like very serious grown-up conversation. Everyone gets to put their and big... And using your words. Yes, their yep. big girl and their big boy pants on. Yes. Uh, and it's all fine and dandy, right? It's a manageable situation, but hard. And again, I hear the big theme in this one. A lot of this stuff is really simple and all of it is really hard. I think the other big key word you just used them, though, was expectations. Mm. So expectations, they're a big thing that we sort of project onto others that I guess impact boundaries and lines that are drawn. Yeah. Expectations. Helpful, unhelpful. Oh, of course. I mean that's in any I mean both 
but also a non-negotiable element. I mean, in a sense, expectations are the boundaries, right? Like where, where, what the levels of expectation are kind of represents where the boundaries are in the relationship. So do I expect, uh, say, the GPs that I work with, do I expect them to like send me a Christmas card? No, that would be really weird, to be honest. Um, but do I expect to talk to you, Lisa, in the vicinity of Christmas and to like do Merry Christmas and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And if we didn't, that would be weird. Um, so I think expectations, again, for better and worse. And seeing a lot of this stuff not necessarily as good or bad but as a necessary part of the experience and something to be managed right and for better and worse right so you can manage this in a way where it's great because again keep in mind people need people so you do need the love uh you must have some low boundary relationships and pick some good ones right there are some great people out there and actually all people will do well under the right circumstances now, whether those circumstances work for you or not is a different conversation. Uh, but should we hold hope that people can function superbly? Yeah, absolutely we can. And equally, people will function very poorly. All people will function very poorly under the right circumstances. Now, the circumstances change a little bit depending on each individual. This is where like getting to know a person can kind of help. Um, yeah, but I would say go and have fun and enjoy and get your heart broken sometimes and take deep breaths and take care of yourself and don't spend too much energy because it's in limited supply. Mm. So some hope good, unrealistic hope bad. Yeah. What about how does entitlement fit into boundaries. Well, let us loop us back to the Phantom of the Opera okay, at this stage of the game because this is, I tell you, this guy like really <laughs> takes it off as far as this is concerned. So in the Phantom of the Opera, he sustains essentially an industrial accident. Uh, he, he sustains like a facial burn. And then instead of seeking appropriate medical treatment, he seems to deal with that by putting a mask on, moving into the toilet system, <laughs> stealing a pipe organ... And then stalking, I believe, like a 16-year-old. Yep. So uh, the entitlement of the Phantom of the Opera, which is that he thinks he's like a ghost now, even though he seems to be a normal person. Uh, and he seems to think that he owns the opera house, even though that was never the case. And he seems to think that he should be able to have whatever relationship with 16-year-old Christine that he wants all of which seems to be fueled by his deep sadness and insecurity of having been disfigured and then not seeking appropriate medical treatment. Or as your child says, why can't he just manage his feelings better? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, just keep in mind, it's not easy to be one of my kids. Like, it's way harder to be a parent than it is to be a psychologist, <laughs> and my kids would tell you that. So... <laughs> Entitlement. Entitlement. I mean, I think entitlement comes to that point of feeling like you can own a person. And look, this is a cultural value as much as anything else, right? We are in Australia. It's kind of vaguely Western cultural sphere um, in the 21st century. And we have a series of laws, apart from anything else, that assign rights to individuals. Um, and that even in like family situations, you can't just do anything to anyone. And in fact, there's quite a lot of restriction around what behaviours people are allowed to enact between each other. 
right, even down to parenting your own children. So for instance, in the state of Victoria now, you can't hit a child with a weapon, right? You can't smack them with a belt or a wooden spoon, uh, even though that was still going on in primary schools just before you and I arrived in primary school, right? That only stopped in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it was, I mean, like not even a thing people would bat an eyelid at no. up until fairly recently. And you can still smack a child with your hand in the state of Victoria, uh, but you cannot hit them with a wooden spoon. Uh, that is a child protection report yeah. at this stage of the game, like mandatory report for all psychologists. Yeah, I know. You're clearly having some thoughts right now, which is interesting. Um <laughs> And importantly, there are lots of other parts of the world, and I'm not just talking about kind of developing countries. Like I have these conversations with folks from Germany and the Scandinavian nations and all sorts of parts of the world where the expectations we have on our ability to control others is radically different from other parts of the world and indeed radically different from the way it used to be here. So in particular, if we come to kind of family violence as a concept in this country where we've had a fairly a growing conversation and growing kind of legal conversation about the nature of family violence and the undesirability of family violence, uh, it is no longer permissible to use violence in relationships, essentially, right? Again, outside of kind of highly consensual stuff, we talked about it in the, the sexy session. Um, that's kind of violence for fun, but that even that's not violence in the sense of coercive control, that's violence for titillation in every sense of the term. Um, and so I think essentially in Australia in the 21st century, feeling like you should have whatever control or happiness or love or a lack of anxiety or a lack of any other feeling, that is a convenient narrative and it's a fantasy because it can't work out. Other people have needs. It's not a sustainable strategy. Equally, I think people can set their needs aside for brief periods of time, right? In sure, therapy, but even in romantic relationships, right? It's one of my kind of big, um, big kind of measures of, uh, of relationship success is what was your, what would your partner do if you get gastroenteritis? Uh, and if they'll hold your hair back while you vomit and not judge all over you, then that's a really good sign. Uh, and if they get overwhelmed, disgusted, run away, or blame you for being sick, not a good sign. Mm. Yeah. So the person holding the hair back, yes, is setting their needs aside for that period of time, uh, but that cannot be the entirety of the relationship because, again, relationships are reciprocal by and large outside of therapy. Uh, so we need to do the things that work in the long game um, and having a sense of entitlement that you can have unsustainable things like control over another person, simply not going to work. Yeah, right. So um, then we've got boundaries. Uh, we've got high boundaries, low boundaries with different people as per we choose. Mm -hmm. Cap it out at seven. <laughs> Asterisk. Only if you want to. You can have like, but then Zumbar <laughs> then talks incidentally about having like 150 friends and then like 1,500 acquaintances. Yeah. So you can have like, basically, that's, think of that as like a village. So you can know a village, and this was probably roughly the size of like caveman tribes, which is like maximum of so 150. Glad the I know, come back this sexy cavemen are back. Um, yeah, and I tell you, the folks got very excited in the early 2000s when Facebook came out. And we're like, oh, this is going to revolutionize everything. We're going to have like whatever, hundreds of close friends and thousands of acquaintances. And it's don't, it's not true. It turns out like, Facebook data shows that we follow exactly the same patterns. You have half a dozen at most 
uh, really close connections that you communicate with a lot, another 150 people that you communicate with a bit, and then as many people that you connect with once and never speak to again. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's the way that kind of works. So we have a choice about the level of boundaries we have <laughs> with different people and the pain that we choose to take on. Yep, yeah. So if you're going to choose to be in pain, understand that that's an energy-intensive experience and you do not have an infinite quantity of energy. So again, it's even thinking about it's the degree to which you take care of another person. And I tell you, my number one piece of feedback to the parents of my child clients is I need you to stop working so hard. Mm. That weirdly enough, while you would think that me as a child therapist at times would be like waving a big stick around at the parents and saying, look, you guys really need to step up and do a better job for this kid. Actually, it's the opposite in the vast, vast majority of cases. Because keep in mind, if you're going to bring your child in to see a psychologist, you already care deeply and you're already working hard to do something, anything. Um, and that generally means that the parent is exhausted. They're running on fumes. And as a result, they have very little energy left to do the parenting. So ironically, and life is full of ironies, um, if you don't work as hard, you save up more energy, which means you can do a better job. So sometimes spending less energy gives you a better outcome. Less energy on your relationship with your child. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Trying to fix, I don't know, your kids' relationships at school or how much maths they know or how good their sleep is on any given evening by finding the effective balance for yourself, where first of all, you're not neglecting your own needs, right? You've got to take good enough care of yourself at all times. Uh, but also understanding that as a person who isn't psychic, like everybody else, you can't force the well-being or the knowledge or the anything else into the head of a child or the head of an adult. Um, we can support people to do their own work, but if they're not going to do their own work, then change is not going to happen. Excellent. All right. Uh, last last tips, last points on boundaries before we wrap up, John? I kind of feel like that's pretty much it. I tell you, there's, the, there's a conversation that I sometimes have with clients who have a, what's called an antisocial bent. These are uh, folks who um, are less about taking care of others and more about power and control as a kind of currency in life. Um, and like a really common piece of disclosure I'll do in therapy is to say whether I'm anxious or whether I'm sad. Um, and, you know, there are times where I'll do that and the client will say, oh, so I'm making you feel anxious. And be like, no, I choose to feel anxious because I choose to care about you. You're not in control of my feelings and I'm not in control of yours. So how about you let me care about you and you can, whatever, try and manipulate me with that if you want to. But because I'm boundary and because I'm calm while I have these feelings, right, emotional and calm is an important point, I'm going to be okay. My thinking brain isn't going to stop working. So you can do with that what you will, client. If you want to use it to sabotage the relationship, that's interesting. And if you want to use it to get better, that's interesting too. I think the thing I find most useful in uh, trying to have a bit of a look at how the boundaries are working and trying to establish is it a problem because mm -hmm. it's not a problem until it's a problem is trying to remove myself just a little bit and look at the whole picture of what's happening mm. and just stepping yourself back. I know it's a little bit weird and you've kind of really got to be paying attention but coming at the whole scenario of isn't it interesting that and insert what's happening here just so that you can really unpack it and reflect on it so isn't it interesting that I got upset 
when I didn't receive a text back at a certain time. Nice. Isn't it interesting that uh, they didn't feel like texting back yeah. when they were out having a good time? Mm. And then using the, what was the mind map? Uh, the wise mind. Wise mind. Using that wise mind framework to go, is what I'm feeling in this moment actually reflect, reflective of the actual things that are happening mm. right now or am I just projecting or making some stuff up in my head to fit around the circumstances that might necessarily, might not necessarily be true. And mm. I think um, for me the things that you've pointed out about trying to use your words and the fact that not everyone is psychic <laughs> really can help get not, to the Not body. everyone. No one. No, no one is psychic. <laughs> you don't go like speed dating for psychic. I totally think some of you guys are on it. Um, okay, so no one is psychic and that will then help unpack the situation and, like you said, then give you a set of circumstances that are based in reality but where you can decide how much pain you take on. So yep. is this something I'm willing to live with or is it not something I'm willing to live with and in which hmm. case I need to reflect on my own decisions based around this set of circumstances. Beautiful. What a lovely summary. Uh, so, Tom, to summarise this week, for all us crazy people out there, <laughs> what are the three three things that you want us to know about boundaries? Excellent. So boundaries are how close you hold a person or indeed a thing, right? Could be a car, could be a pet. Ask for what you want with your words and manners is the maximum control you can exert over another person. And as a general rule, if you have repetitive pleasant feelings, you might lower your boundaries slowly. And if you have repetitive unpleasant feelings, you might raise your boundaries slowly. And that's most of what I know about boundaries. <laughs> And if you want an example of what not to do, then watch the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, my God. Yes, please stay away from the toilet monsters in all of our lives, literally and metaphorically. <laughs> I say, as a resource, I'll throw into the, the notes of this episode, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. Yes. Great book. I don't make time to read, but I listened, I had my telephone read it out to me and it was a very good. Um, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of, I would say, original thought in there, but it's, I think it's a lovely thesis on acceptance, feelings, and a pretty fair quantity of it on relationships I liked well. that one too. Yeah, yeah. Plus it's full of a lot of fun swear words. So a really well-written book. And the Wise Mind uh, Venn diagram. Yeah, yeah, thing. cool. I'll, yeah. I'll find a copy of that. I'll link to the Wikipedia page for Wise Mind. Sure, great. <laughs> All right, that was brilliant. So next week, Tom. <laughs> what are we talking about We next are week? talking about the fact that raising small people is hard. Oh, true. So if you've got some small people in your life who are important to you, not just as a parent, but aunties, uncles, grandparents, any other adult who's playing an important role mm -hmm. in the life of a child, then join us for next time. But for now this is uh all people are crazy thanks coming to you from the studio sweat lodge where we have vaguely survived both wearing our pants <laughs> all, right, bye bye for now. all people are crazy is a production of the therapy people we would appreciate your five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice why not visit us at allpeoplearecrazy.com.au or on instagram or facebook if you're a psychologist interested in setting up private practice, why not visit therapypeople.com.au to see whether we can be of assistance.